Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, June 30th, 2023. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. As we head into the holiday weekend, we wish everyone a happy 4th of July for next Tuesday. The United States independence is almost 250 years old, and we are reminded of our founding fathers' principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and the fact that still remains today that freedom is not free, and even with its challenges, what a great country in which we live. With me today, I would like to introduce our team of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity and more. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic news, we have four items to report on. First, earlier in the week, we have the Case-Shiller National Home Price Index, which actually showed a decline in prices from April of 2023 for the prior 12 months. Now, why is this important? Because we had seen moderating increases coming down for roughly the last year since the peak in May of 2022, but we had not actually seen a decline in prices until this month, year over year. That has implications for overall inflation, and it's important that we understand the read. And second, just yesterday, we had the read for initial unemployment claims, which came down to 239,000 for the prior week. And when I say came down, meaning that it had actually increased up to 265,000 for the week ending June 17th. So we've seen some moderate tick ups in terms of weekly initial unemployment claims, but in the most recent read, it has moderated back to the normalized level of around 230,000 for the past few months. And third, we, just yesterday as well, we have the final read for the first quarter of 2023 quarterly GDP on an annualized rate, which came in at 2% for the quarter. Now, this is important for two reasons. One, we are seeing that it is moderately slowing from the fourth quarter of 2022. But in addition to that, we've got positive uptrend in that the revisions from the first estimate to the second estimate to the third or final estimate that we just referred to at 2% showed increases over the original estimates of 1.1 and 1.3%, now up to 2%, significantly supported by consumer spending habits and some other factors within the overall economy. So again, this is a question for us taking a look at where the overall economy is going from a sign of strength. And finally, just this morning, the print came out for the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, which is known as the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index of Inflation or PCE, and the read of core PCE, which excludes food and energy, came in for the month of May at 4.6%. This is somewhat troubling from the perspective that the overall inflation for prior months has been around 4.7 or 4.6% for the past consecutive five months, which means that overall inflation is not moving down as much as the Fed would prefer. It remains sticky, and so we'll have to see what this means in terms of George and Rajiv's comment with regard to where the Fed might take interest rates relative to the fact that the core PCE inflation has not come down as much as had preferred for the month of May year over year. 
So with that, George, let's start with you in terms of our panel and get your reaction to some of the economic data this week and your overall thoughts for the economy and the markets. George? Well, Brian, I guess there were no fireworks in the, the Fed's favorite inflation report this morning. Um, the headline PC number kind of came as expected. I think it was up about one-tenth of one percent. Uh, that translates into a year-over-year number of about 3.8%. Uh, that's, of course, factoring the fact that energy prices have gone quite a bit, and that's actually the first time that we've seen that indicator below 4% since the pandemic began. Um, it's also down from about 5% just a few months ago. So kind of good progress there, that deflationary narrative that's probably popping up um, some parts of the stock market seems to be alive and well. Uh, the core inflation number was up three-tenths of 1%. Again, kind of as expected, maybe a touch weaker um, and also, again, we've seen that kind of number hovering around 4.5% now for the past few months. So, again, we've made pretty good progress when you factor the fact that energy prices have come down quite a bit. Um, you haven't seen as much progress on some of the core numbers. And, you know, I guess also in the report, I was kind of surprised to see that there wasn't more progress, I guess, or more momentum in some of the spending numbers. Um, to be sure, I think the spending numbers were mixed. I think there's some people might be thinking that spending is, is, is pulling in a little bit. But if you kind of parse out the numbers, you'll see uh, good spending with down quite a bit. Uh, so that's some of the deflation that's occurring in some of the good price, the good sector of the economy. But services, however, was really quite robust. So spending is uh, is pretty pretty active in the services sector. So that would be vacations, that could be haircuts and dry cleaning, things like that. You know, spending there was pretty pretty healthy. So overall, I think that the um, you know the economic narrative around resilience remains intact. Um, earlier this week, you know, we saw probably even more strength, uh, more signs of strength. You know, new home sales were up some 12%. Um, existing home sales were more modest. So I think that, again, there's probably this notion that this housing uh, shortage is still uh, very much a factor, and new home sales in particular are seeing the benefits of that. Um, also, some really sharp uh, rebound in, uh, in durable good orders, particularly aircraft orders. I think that was kind of surprising to some, uh, but or orders on the aircraft side were up some 32%, pretty big number. And we also saw, as you mentioned, came numbers kind of tick lower. So we had been kind of watching that as kind of a sign of potential weakness in the labor market. Well, it seems like it's kind of stabilized uh, and actually kind of gone in a more favorable direction. And so lastly, I guess, uh, I think what really kind of got the market excited this week was consumer confidence, um, you know, which which was kind of, you know, one of those things that I think, you know, kind of goes both ways uh, in terms of its ability to kind of, kind of uh, give you a, a real economy. Uh, sometimes it's a false signal. Sometimes it's uh, it's kind of more of a present situation kind of reading. But number, nevertheless, the, the numbers are actually probably surprised in the upside where consumers seem to be a bit more confident or feeling confident than they were just a few months ago, which is uh, your welcome news. So I guess I'd kind of sum up and say that um, the overall uh, backdrop of run Brazilian seems to be pretty alive and well. Um, the Fed's job, I think, is not clear cut. Um, I think they may have one more to do at least before they're considered to be done. Uh, they've already done a lot, and yet the market continues to trade higher. Um, you know, the market's actually, I think, probably at least where it was that higher when the Fed started. Asset prices are up a lot, Steve. You know, we've got the technology sector up some 30-40%. Uh, the overall broad market's up 15-ish percent. Small caps now beginning to outperform, which we've been kind of advocating for, and even bond prices are rising. So what's your sense of the overall situation with the uh, the equity markets? Well, you know, George, uh, as we head into the mid-year, I think a, a, a lot of people got caught in the first half of the year playing into the bearish thesis. You know, the bearish bearish thesis, and, and this goes in general, um, the bearish thesis is always very intellectually seductive, almost all, all very much more so than the bullish thesis. And, and that goes 
um, as an investment universal. I mean, it never matters what the time frame is. The bearish thesis always seems to have this intellectual seductivity to it. So, you know, people were thinking it was going to be a bad first half of the year, and a lot of people got caught off guard when the market decided to go up 15%. And here we sit, last trading day of the first half, and and we're we're within spitting distance of of a new high for the last six months. So. You know, the, the I look at the earnings numbers. Earnings numbers are also at a new high for the year, um, so that that continues to confirm. And and really, it comes down to the fact that growth has surprised to the upside. That was the thing this week. Again, we got GDP number uh, out preliminary, and it looks like that those numbers continue to surprise to the upside. You combine that with the fact that this inflation is coming off the boil. Um, and I, I think it's a pretty good setup for for equity investors. Now, the question is, are investors getting too complacent when we see the VIX trading at 13 and a half? Um, that's the volatility in, index from from the Chicago Board Options Exchange. Um, that that does signal that 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 investors are 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 very comfortable with their positioning right now. Let's put it that way. Um, but but quite honestly, it's hard to see what right now gets in the way of D derailing this as we head into the second half. To your point about the consumer, you know, when you look at the the, the sectors within the S&P 500, uh, consumer discretionary is a very clear leadership group right now. Um, cyclicals are starting to see some pickup uh, in terms of rotation. And, and you're right, 100%, that uh, we are seeing the rally start to broaden out from just the mega cap tech names, which Really drove performance through, say, say May and 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 into early June, and now we're starting to see things broaden out a bit, uh, which is a, a true positive as we flip the calendar to the second half. Yeah, and you've been all over that, Steve. I mean, I've got to give you a lot of credit for being early with that call. Do you think that's going to continue? Uh, I I do think it's going to continue. I I've gotten more and more bullish on the market as we've headed into the second half, and you know I think that the situation. Uh, that I see playing out with the highest probability is that because of growth continuing to surprise and the fact that so many investors have been so underinvested in these mega cap names, which have been driving performance, um, I think you're going to see people continue to have to rotate into into risk on positions. Um, and, and to a certain degree, they're going to have to chase some of these mega caps. So I, I, I think we are in a con continue to be in a good place here. So with that backdrop regime, how do you think the Fed is thinking about the stock market these days, if at all? Uh, that's a great question, George, because, uh, I mean, the bond market is not really feeling the same way. We saw a significant sell-off yesterday. I think the Fed is looking at this as well. The Fed's looking at the stock market. It's looking at the bond market as well. Uh, it really set the tone uh, for the week. Uh, the Fed is looking at economic data. In particular, we saw that strong GDP print. Uh, it really set the tone for the Fed. Nothing is pointing to the Fed to change their narrative right now. Uh, you had Fed members this week come out. Fed Chair Powell came out this week. Uh, he doesn't see core inflation returning to 2% this year or even next year. Uh, Fed members reiterated the Fed policy that it's not restrictive enough. All of this saw yields rise across the yield curve. It was a sell-off in the bond market yesterday. It was a global sell-off in the bond market yesterday. Uh, we saw the U.S. 10-year Treasury note yield rise 13 basis points uh, to 3.8% yesterday. That's one of the biggest one-day moves that we've seen this year. Uh, it's very interesting uh, that that did not really impact the equity market, but we did see a huge sell-off in the bond market. Uh, the market is pricing in for rate hikes in July, and now there's another one being priced in for September. 
And that strong GDP print adds to the upside pressure on rates across the curve. Uh, Powell's comments this week uh, suggest that the, there's going to continue to be pressure on the yield curve. Uh, with that PCE print today, the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, we did see that uh, it hit a 10-month low. So maybe that's something to look at. Uh, we did have uh, a little bit of dissent among Fed members. Uh, we saw uh, Atlanta Fed member Bostic come out and say he's not convinced, as Powell is, that we need more rate hikes. So there could be a little bit of dissent going on between Fed members. Uh, but again, he made those statements for the GDP print. Uh, July looks like a virtual lock for 25 basis points. And now we have to deal with the big disconnect between what the market is expecting and what the Fed is saying. So we've got two hikes that the Fed is talking about. But we see the market talking about a rate cut later this year. Uh, this is all a recipe for more bond market pain. Uh, we saw that yesterday, and, and we may continue to see that. We saw bond yields rise uh, for the first quarter, um, really because of the uh, first quarter growth and the jobless claims numbers. Uh, there is some good news, though. The twos, tens curve fell to the lowest level since March. And uh, we've all talked about this inverted yield curve between twos and tens. It's been a signal for recession in the past. History has shown that uh, when the curve is inverted, uh, it is a recipe for a for recession, but it's really all about when it uninverts. And the past three recessions all came after the yield curve uninverted. So we still have a way to go there, but uh, something to keep an eye on. And um, you know, we talk about the equity markets, we talk about the resilience of the credit spreads and investment grade and high yield spreads how resilient they've been through all of this. I mean, basically, in the last nine months, investment rate spreads haven't really moved at all. Uh, but there might be some cracks to think about here. Uh, bank loan charge-offs, delinquencies, uh, debt defaults are increasing, bankruptcy filings are increasing. You would not know that if you saw high-yield spreads right now. Uh, they are not wider. Perhaps they should be with all this information coming out. I mean, you've got bankruptcy filings. Uh, that are moving up, but you don't see high yield spreads reacting to that. Uh, and I think that uh, maybe high yield is is reacting in sympathy to the equity markets, uh, but it's really something to keep a real close eye on. Steve, George, or Rajiv, what are your thoughts on the bank strike uh, test that came out this week? What do you think it means for the economy or maybe even the Fed? Uh, the bank stress test uh, came out. The money center banks did very well. Um, I think the uh, the regional banks uh, did well, but struggled a little bit. I think what's going to be really interesting is when they talk about uh, rising interest rates on a stress test, 2023 looks better than 2022. But that's not really surprising, considering how low rates were in 2022 compared to now. Um, they should so have used that methodology you know, a year ago, right? <laughs> I mean, that's like, exactly, it's, exactly. It's like we're kind of fighting the last war. So. It's a year of delay. Um, that's yeah. true. Uh, commercial real estate is another aspect uh, of that stress test that I think needs to be explored a little more. Uh, what I do think happens here is we saw all the entire sector, financial sector, the banking sector, they all did very well yesterday. Spreads compressed in that sector yesterday uh, across the board. But I think the money center banks really got the benefit of it. So, George, we often talk about human ingenuity in our conversation, and in particular, some evolution of very, very, very prominent individual that talked about how we invest in the market with the efficient market hypothesis. You want to talk a little bit about uh, Harry Markowitz? Yeah, sure, Brian. You're right to call him out. I mean, he really is kind of a legend in our field, right? And, and even though people might not know his name, I think everybody knows 
his contributions to how we think about portfolios. You know, he he passed away recently, and we talked about him in a recent key question article that we wrote. But basically, he came on the came onto the scenes kind of in the, the early 50s, uh, 1950s or so. And I think at the time, most people were trying to figure out how to optimize their portfolio, right? What's the best way to try and structure a portfolio? At the time, prior to some of his work, people thought that you know, really picking the single best stock was probably the best way to kind of kind of create a, a winning strategy. And what Markowitz proved essentially uh, in his piece called Portfolio Selection was that risky assets shouldn't really be viewed by themselves, but rather the collection of, of all things in the portfolio. So I know it sounds kind of trite today that we're talking about diversification as being fundamental to what we do, but it really was you know kind of absent uh, before. Uh, Dr. Markowitz arrived on the scene. So I think with that, that's a great example, as you mentioned, along the lines of human ingenuity, just thinking about things in, in different ways. And that really led us to think about how workplace can be constructed. And to be clear, you know, he, he's kind of evolved his thinking over his career, but that core tent around really being diversified uh, really persisted throughout decades. And I, I, I would surmise it's going to be persistent for many more decades to come. Well, thanks for the conversation today, George, Stephen, and Rajiv. We appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not being guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.